Hello, listeners to the first annual Climate Podcast Showcase, and thanks a lot for joining us. We are broadcasting here from the studios of The Pulse, a community radio station in Geelong, where we've been doing the Sustainable Hour for the last six years, coming up now very soon to our episode number 300. What we're about to hear is episode number 297 from December, You'll meet a couple of our hosts, Tony and Jackie, and we also have a larger crew out there in the field contributing to the show, local reporters in Melbourne and New South Wales, and all the way overseas in Denmark, where Lena sends us her Sustainable People reports on a regular basis. We always have a, a range of news and zigzag through the discussions and practical advice for solutions and so on in each of our episodes. But if you check our podcast in the phone, you'll also find that we are doing some longer, deeper talks in what we call the regenerative hour. But that's only on the podcast that you'll be able to find those. The full archive is available on climatesafety.info on the internet. And if you want to hear the fresh news, we're streaming live on the internet every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Melbourne time. If you live around Geelong in Victoria, you can also hear us on the FM airwaves on 94.7 FM. But for now, just sit back and relax and a very warm welcome here to the Sustainable Hour. The Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong. The Sustainable Hour. Good morning, listeners. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Wathaurong people. We acknowledge that their land was never ceded, it was stolen. We acknowledge their elders, past, present, and those to come. We hope that we learn to nurture the land half as well as they did for millennia before uh, we came along. And they, as always, end up with the a tribute to One Fire for the work they're doing in Geelong for reconciliation. Good morning, Jackie, Tony, Colin. Mick. Good morning, Mick. While Australia is burning, we have now 700 homes destroyed. Six people are dead. And extreme weather is forcing people not from their homes, not just here in Australia, but around the planet. Here's the news, and this is from News Corp, Murdoch's Press, saying, extreme weather makes 20 million people homeless. That's the headline. Mm. Good morning, Colin. What's the global <laughs> outlook today? Good morning, Mick. Uh, look, the global, all of the global outlook when it comes to the sustainable uh, energy is still centred in Madrid with the climate change talks. The news coming out of Madrid is that really, it, it, this is two weeks of talks and this is we're in the middle of the second week. This is the Wednesday of the second week. Nothing much happened uh, the, for the first four or five days until Greta Thunberg arrived at the head of half a million people marching. She tends on, to do that. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that galvanized them and got them really think, talking. Uh, right now, they're getting ready for the, um, or they're negotiating. Right today, Wednesday, it's the, um, the financial people who are there. And when I say the financial people, we're talking about finance ministers from just about every country in the world except for ours and Brazil and Russia. No kidding. Uh, but yeah, because we're in that 
group of people, Ukraine, Brazil, Russia, Australia. We are the four pariahs. And when our environment minister, Angus Taylor, arrived because he said he wanted to talk to other nations about our system of uh, claiming back credits from the time when we, when we first negotiated with the Paris Accord at the beginning of the century, we said we wouldn't be able to, uh, to cut our emissions, so therefore could we have permission to allow our emissions to grow? And that was given at the Paris Accord. And then what happened is that national uh, companies, international companies like Alcoa, shut down their Australian um, operations for one way or another. We know that in Geelong. Alcoa closed here. What people didn't realise is that Alcoa used more power, more electricity than the rest of Geelong put together twice as much as the rest of Geelong put together. That's why it had its own power station. So the Anglesey power station shut down, Loyang shut down, because it wasn't necessary. So what actually happened is that we got permission to increase our levels of emissions. And then, because we'd shut down huge emitters like Alcoa, we actually reduced it. So that gave us what they call credits. So right now, we are still increasing the amount of um, emissions we're putting into the atmosphere, but we're claiming the credits from those early years when our motor industry shut down, when Alcoa shut down, without the government doing anything, the amounts um, that we said we were going to do um, were achieved easily because we said that we were going to increase our, our amounts and we didn't. Now we are increasing them and we're claiming back those credits for that. So basically we're not doing anything. Hmm. But the only people who uh, we're talking to who are in agreement with what Australia is doing are the Ukraine, Russia and Brazil. Russia, because it's a bit of a pariah anyway, it, everything is, um, is coal-fired and it, it has the gas fields which supply most of Europe. Ukraine, because they, um, they have to use coal because they're in a war with Russia uh, and they can't cut anything. And Brazil, because they're burning the Amazon and they don't want to be the only ones who are the baddies of the peace. But once Angus Taylor arrived and tried to explain the Australian position, 1,000 nations, 1,000 of the world's nations put out a statement condemning Australia and Angus Taylor. So that's what's happening at the moment in Madrid at the climate change talks. But we can now expect things to be really uh, hotting up there. Uh, and that, for the, there's two main reasons. Number one is that uh, tomorrow, on Thursday, the British election takes place. At the moment, Britain hasn't had anybody there at the climate talks, mainly because it's uncertain of who's going to be running the next government. But it's both sides, both uh, the Conservatives and Labour, have said that uh, once they're elected, so that's Friday morning, they will send their environment minister for the final statement. So they've got people there working, but not their environment ministers because they, it's so uncertain. But the main thing, the main one, this is the one that we'll be talking about next week, I'm certain, 
and this weekend it'll be in all of the news. That will be when the EU unveils its new Green Deal. If you remember, I've been following this for the last two weeks. The EU's got a new president, a female, and she said that she would spend 10 days putting together a new deal for Europe to wind up with zero emissions by 2030. That's what she will unveil on Friday of this week, our time. Uh, once she does that, that's bound to be news, even in our press. Uh, we will be, uh, it's got to be big when a whole continent says we are going to uh, bring in measures that are going to give us a zero emissions. And that means Angus Taylor and his uh, quite ridiculous stance is going to be completely overwhelmed um, mm. uh, with, with the positive. Yeah, yeah. very much. Speaking shamed. of, of um, outlandish stances and, and Angus Taylor, didn't we hear on the news that, that he it's it's not the government at all that's contributed to oh, the fight? It's yeah. these kids. This is the news on 94.7 The Pulse. The Nationals' leader has acknowledged climate change is a factoring link to the bushfire crisis currently gripping the country, but also said many of the fires had been deliberately lit. The comments were in response to New South Wales Environment Minister Matt Keane, who said the smoke haze choking Sydney is due to climate change. Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack says the government is taking pragmatic steps to combat climate change, but also blamed children for lighting blazes. Most of these fires have been caused by little lucifers running around with matches and fire starters and, uh, and creating havoc. And I urge and encourage parents uh, to make sure you know where your kids are, particularly of a weekend when they're not in school, to make sure you know where they are so that they're not out causing mischief. What's going on there? No, it's parents. Parents letting their children go out and light fires. It, it just shows you how ridiculous I have our never government heard, is. Seriously, never heard anything as ridiculous yeah. as that. Yep. But on the positive note, in Denmark just a couple of days ago, and this is everyone in Denmark have their arms up because the government has made it into law that Denmark is going to reduce its emissions with 70% below the 1995 levels, mm. which is already, that, that time there weren't many emissions, you know, only half of what most of the world is now. Yep. So, so they're going to go 70% lower than the 1995 emission. Now, that is a very demanding, probably the, one of the most challenging climate laws yeah. that has been put in place so far. So you can imagine the atmosphere in Denmark is very hopeful at this time because well, there, there's some real leadership from a government there. Exactly. And look, what it, it very much comes down to the way that each nation has treated the emergency from the very beginning. Those nations like Australia who have politicised the debate and one side has taken, uh, uh, denied that there is an emergency and the other one has said, look, well, we're going to do it. In Australia, both of our major parties have politicised it and said, well, look, it's not as important as jobs uh, and things like that. So, yes, it's important, but no, it's not as important as us jobs. And that was illustrated earlier this week with Anthony Albanese. Uh, the Labour leader saying, oh, yes, look, there is a climate emergency. Yes, we do agree that. But we're still going to, if we become government, we're still going to export coal. Because if we don't export it, other nations will. Which is the most ridiculous Pathetic. argument that you could possibly... What kind of leadership mount. is that? It isn't. 
Um, but those nations like Denmark, where they have got facts and uh, and they listen to the science, and all of their political leaders are um, there is no argument about it. They are, they accept that there is a problem, and they've they've got to frame policies that are going to address it. That's where the leadership of the world is coming. Yep. Uh, We're going to go very local today. Thanks for the global outlook, oh, Colin. Yep. Beautiful. I'll, I'll see you next week. You took me for a ride and now we're lost. I'm choking on your pollution trip. You're making me cough. You're turning me off. I'm breaking this relationship. Gasoline, gasoline. You're driving me Geelong is an interesting place to live. Actually, a lot of people, when they first come to Geelong, they drive, you know, the highway. They come in and they see all these factories and the refinery with the flame. And it's sort of an industrial town by the look of it when you arrive. But then what you find out is all these people that are in this city. And that's what we've been doing here in the Sustainable Hour, isn't it, Tony? The last six years, we must have talked with more than a thousand people from the city yeah. and, and learn about what's happening in the streets, behind the walls and the houses, and even up on the roofs and so on. Yes. This is what makes me love the city. It's the people in the city, basically. Of course, yeah. also the, the nature that you find, the little reserves out there, you know, by the river or Bellarine, the wineries and so on. But it's really, I think, what, what gets more and more people excited about Geelong is the people. And where do you meet people? In a cafe, very often. That's certainly the case here for us in the Sustainable Hour. We have our little, almost like a canteen where we go when we finished with the show here every Wednesday. We sort of go down the road, just a hundred meters, and there's a place called, and I love the name, the Little Green Corner. How simple. Actually, we are a green corner too because uh, this radio station is painted green all over outside, very green. It is corner. very, very <laughs> graphically green. But, but uh, the little green corner is a cafe that popped up a couple of years ago or so, and, and it has a very green profile, which is why we like it. Lots of vegetarian food and everything. And today, it's, it's actually funny that it hasn't happened earlier, but today we have the person who is making it all happen. Welcome to the studio. Oh, and, thanks and, for having uh, me. I barely know your name, so maybe you present yourself and what your relationship is with the cafe. Uh, so my name's Jono. Um, I'm actually the head chef of the cafe. The owner's name is Hugh. Um, so I came on board about six months ago. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to be working with those guys and moving the cafe forward. So you're responsible for the food and the menu, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, let's start there, because uh, we certainly enjoy it. And I'm looking at you, Tony. Uh, yeah. uh, you always uh, go for the vegetarian. I sometimes uh, get a sandwich or, or something with a little bit of meat, chicken, and so on. But it's, it's a very uh, interesting and always very delicious meal that you have. The different foods, lots of varieties of vegetables. And fresh, fresh, yeah. fresh. Yeah, so as you said, our name is actually quite literal in the way that the building is small, it's green, and it's on a corner, but that also mm -hmm. translates into what we try and do in the cafe. 
Um, so we try and keep everything quite small, small producers, very seasonal, and also as green as we can. So the food's driven a lot by seasonality. Um, we are lucky enough to have a farm out in Warm Ponds that we can get produce from. Um, we also get a lot of produce locally from small growers or even people's backyards. Um, we have an amazing bartering system where people can bring in excess from their gardens and we'll trade them for a coffee. Um, so that's something I really, really inspires me with the menu to move it forward and keep it seasonal. So does that mean if I bring some vegetables and I don't have to have an appointment, I just come there with some vegetables, you take a look at them and you say, yeah, I can use that. And then you'll give me a cup of coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> yeah, so we really encourage people that just have an excess. Like if they, if something in their garden is going absolutely crazy, like a great example of that is say broccoli over the winter. Like it was an amazing season for brassicas this year. And so many people would rock up with bags of produce from their backyard and To me as a chef, that's really inspiring. Like, I really like to cook reactively. And so if something turns up coming through the window like that, it's a great opportunity for me to, like, get excited about what's going on. And it gives me a great idea of seasonality as well because it's not as confined as people think it is. Um, you know, the weather's changing all the time. Today's a great example of that. So, yeah, it's that micro-seasonality that you get in such a small area um, that's really cool to learn about yeah. and to react to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would I, Jono, what would I have to bring in to get a, one of your delicious hamburger or not hamburgers, but veggie <laughs> okay, burgers? Well, how many uh, <laughs> <A> pumpkin? Uh, <laughs> oh, it would have to, be, have to be something pretty impressive, I think. <laughs> yeah, because it is a business too. And how is it going yeah. with, you know, running a business in, in this green space? Because what we hear is always that it's problematic, that, you know, because everything is more expensive if you want to go green. Yeah, it is a challenge. Um It can cost you more, but there's also ways you can be a bit more intelligent about it. And it can actually save you money, which is a really interesting thing for me to work with. Like my history has been in fine dining, which is classically quite wasteful. Um, some venues have been better than others, but usually it's a pretty high wastage scenario. So moving into this has been a bit of a challenge um, to try and cut down on that, I suppose. Um, a good example of how it you can be more sustainable and more green, I suppose, is um, we recently stopped using disposable cloths in the kitchen for regular cloth ones. Um, and that's actually something that'll save you money. Like some restaurants would spend up to $20,000 a year on disposable cloths. Whereas if you spend $100 on reusable ones, they're not going into waste and it's also saving you money and it's it's just better for everyone. Lots of saving there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's all these things that we often take for granted that, Like that's that's a huge saving for a restaurant yeah, or a cafe. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. when the margins are so tight in hospitality. Like mm. if you can get a little win like that wherever you can. But the other great thing about it is it is a more sustainable way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. One thing now that we have uh, cafes as a topic, uh, one thing I've noticed is that more and more people bring their own cup. You know, yeah. the Keep Cup has really exploded here in Geelong in the, in just the last almost month. Yeah, absolutely. Is that feeling, uh, is that true? Yeah, no, totally. Um, like, we'd probably, I mean, from what I see, I'm I'm not the guy on the coffee machine, but I'm very working very closely with them. And from what I see, like, I'd say it's 70% of people getting a takeaway coffee would have a keep cup, which is great. Because coffee cups, even if they say they're biodegradable, that's not, it may be true, but only to some extent or in the right scenario. Um, so the more people that have a keep cup, And something we have seen a massive rise in as well is not necessarily a dedicated keep cup, but just taking a mug or any kind of cup um, just out of your kitchen pantry is great. Mm. Um, and personally, I think it's a way more enjoyable way to drink coffee. That's the other thing. Than out of paper. It yeah. tastes so much better. <laughs> 
And there has been a really interesting shift as well in some cafes um, getting rid of the takeaway cup altogether, which I think is a really interesting initiative. Um, there's a few cafes locally that have started doing that, and I think that's really interesting to see where that goes and how that affects business and how people react to it. Mm. So explain to me, what makes a chef in fine dining make that shift over to becoming like a green chef in a in a little green corner? Um, to me, it was like it was kind of lifestyle related in a way, um, like moving to the cafe culture, I suppose, rather than restaurant. But more than that, it was kind of the more I've gone through my career, I sort of came in when everything was really sort of whiz bang and I guess you call it molecular gastronomy and that kind of thing was sort of just starting to die out as I came into the industry. So it's really been a getting back to basics shift for me. Um, the last few restaurants I've worked in have sort of done that in various stages and this is a bit of a culmination of that, I suppose, like going back to those older ways of doing things and more having a closer relationship with the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was astonished to see a couple of years ago when the Danish restaurant Noma came to Sydney and sold out all the tables, you know, for for the time that they were there, two months, were sold out like in two minutes. And yeah. this was like tables of where each plate would cost you $500 or something like that. And that menu that they served was very much both green but also based on Aboriginal knowledge where they had been out foraging and finding herbs and plants that you don't normally see on, on a plate. Has that sort of inspired you, what, what happened at that time, and is that still happening? Yeah, I think that's getting more and more recognition um, in the fine dining end. Um, so the last fine dining restaurant I worked in, Igni, we had a really close relationship with a lot of farmers and uh, some relationship with native ingredients, and there's some really interesting stuff out there. Um, there's especially a restaurant in Adelaide called Orana, They have an amazing program um, with Aboriginals that go out and pick ingredients for their restaurant and they do so much conservation work. It's really amazing stuff. Mm. And the crazy thing about that is the chef and the guy driving it, he's not even Australian. He's Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a pretty fascinating yeah. relationship that he has. So um, that would create employment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like it creates employment, it creates awareness and mm. delicious food as a byproduct, I suppose. But it's such a cool relationship with the land and the product. and Yeah, that relationship with the land is so critical. And we often mention it on the show that Indigenous people that lived or thrived in this pretty harsh environment at times for millennia before white man came along has got a lot, you know, there's a lot of lessons for us there in how they they managed the land. They looked after, nurtured the land, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like the ways they looked after the land and the way they propagated and their methods of farming that were so foreign to us, like when we first came here. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I think we could learn a lot from that now. And I think yeah. we are, the more we realize the damage we've done to the soil and like the soil drives everything. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that because that's one of our favorite topics is is the soil and, yeah. and uh, regenerative farming. What's your understanding of that? Yeah, the well, soil. my understanding, I mean, soil is where it all starts. I mean, without good soil, you have nothing. Like, that drives everything to do with nutrition and flavour. Um, so, a good example of that, I suppose, is our farm over in Warm Ponds. Um, we have a bit of a tunnel system set up there. Um, there's an amazing couple, Andrew and Linda, that run that farm, um, have a great system for using the chickens. Um, so, they provide the eggs for our cafe but they also run them through all the garden beds. Um, so they'll help okay. regenerate the soil, they'll turn it over, they'll obviously add manure to it, at the same time helping the old plants to decompose and continue to regenerate that soil. And the soil out there is incredible. Like, 
things just grow. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty outrageous. Um, yeah. and, the, and the produce is reflective of that. And I noticed when we come to your cafe and just at the door there, there's these big metal mm. uh, bottles or something. And, yeah. and it seems like you're getting the, the milk straight from a farm as well. Is that right? Yeah. So all our milk um, and pretty much all of our dairy products come from Schultz Organic Dairy down in Timboon. Um, so they have a great initiative that they've actually just launched on a larger scale. So more restaurants and cafes can do it um, for supplying their milk in these metal pails. Uh, which massively cuts plastic waste. It's mm. pretty incredible. So each one of those pails saves us seven plastic bottles. Um, and obviously when you're making coffees and you translate that over the course of a year, um, so we're using around five of those pails a week. So that's, you know, hundreds of bottles a year and thousands, mm. you know, in the future. Um, so it's a really, really amazing initiative that uh, those guys came up with mm. and, was sort of trialed by us and uh, Bray down in Birigara. Um And yeah, that's enabled them to sort of launch that on a wider scale. Um, but they also do some amazing stuff with glass bottles. So they have a system, uh, there's a few places in Geelong you can get it, um, where you pay a small deposit and get your milk in a glass bottle that you then return. They clean it, refill it, so you can eliminate that mm. plastic bottle waste at home as well. Isn't that interesting? Mm. A people-driven bottle return system is, is beginning to come up because the government can't get their ass together, to be yeah. honest, yeah. And, and just make it into yeah. a system. In Denmark, we take it for granted because it's been there forever. You pay that little deposit for the bottle, and obviously, because you've done that, you give it back. It's quite simple. You know? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. It's a bit of a return to the old ways, I guess. Like, everyone's got those, you know, yeah, the it, memory of the milkman dropping right. off it's the milk bottles. It's even been here before, hasn't it? Yeah, I, it I believe so. Like 20 yeah. to 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it's those old ways that are sort of, it's coming back full circle, I suppose, where that's all that's all coming back because we're realising it was the right thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Schultz people have been on our bucket list for a while. Well, we really, that sort of confirms that belief we've got to get them on the show. That's, yeah. My understanding is they were, they're farmers. I didn't say just farmers, but they were milk <laughs> dairy farmers, and that they've, uh, you know, that's their initiative. That's their uh, entrepreneurship, I guess, in 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 going in these directions. Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing is, like, their product is so reflective of what they do. Um, like, their milk is amazing. All their other other products are so good. Mm. Um, it definitely. Like, I'm always blown away by the difference of their products um, yeah. compared to other dairy products. Well, you'd notice, yeah, being the chef, you'd notice them. And they're not beholding to any multinational dairy company. No. Like, they've made their market. Yeah, they've they've made it on their own, which is yeah. really impressive. Like, it that's is. That's a really hard thing to do, be it in Absolutely. farming or hospitality. Like, making it on your own is really not easy. Yeah. And because of the, on the back of the the trial with you guys and the the restaurant in Birigara, um, they they've decided to go or been able to go bigger. Is that yeah, what you're yeah, saying? exactly. They've been able to develop a new, slightly easier to use pail system. The one we have at the moment is pretty old school, um, with lids that have to be removed and they're a bit hard to pick up and all of those kind of things. Um, but they've developed a new sort of tapped system, I suppose, uh, which is a lot more user friendly. And yeah, I believe that's. Uh, ready to roll out soon. That is really impressive on so many levels, the fact that you guys got involved, but also what they're doing. And they're not, you know, a lot of, yeah, they're, they're realising that they their destiny is in their hands and have, have gone, probably gone out of their comfort zone initially to get it going. And, and they've made something out of, out of that, which is, mm. it's so impressive. 
Yeah, 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 it's pretty amazing. There's some good examples of that all mm. the time, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've noticed that you also have started to do events. There was a talk just the other weekend uh, with, with some farmers or, or some people in permaculture and so on. If we look into the new year, is that like a next thing that you're going to be more like also a place where people come in the evening and so on? Yeah, so something we're really excited about coming into next year is expanding our workshops. Um, we have run some in the past, um, but we're really keen to get that knowledge out there and really push some things forward for that people can get involved with, with the cafe. So um, we won't be doing so much farming workshops. Unfortunately, uh, the guy we've worked with, Ben Shaw, is heading off on a bit of a trip. So probably when he gets back, we'll be doing some more things with him. But yeah, lots of other things planned. Um, a few foraging things, uh, especially in the wintertime for mushrooms. That's always a really popular kind of a thing. But also just some more old style like cooking techniques as well like making basic pastas or preserving um which is a huge one mm. um especially if you grow your own produce it's it can be hard to deal with that bounty sometimes so yeah, yeah. some sort how of preserve it how yeah. to keep it for mm. longer and so yeah on. exactly so pickling and fermenting and jarring or jam making things like that mm. um are all things we're pretty excited about getting out there yeah. Um, and we're also doing some collaborative ones, like I think we're doing a brewing workshop uh, oh. with Blackmans. Um, so yeah, that's one I'm pretty excited about. <laughs> <laughs> what about kombucha? Uh, yeah. That, would you guys looking at that? It's yeah, on... absolutely. That's that's on the Sign list. Sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. yeah, we've got a we've got a good list going at the moment, but um, we're always open for suggestions if there's yeah. anything anyone wants to learn about. Yeah, John, have you heard of the? Uh, I think it's the Black Dog uh, Cafe restaurant in Philadelphia. Uh, no, I no. Heard about well, this. they they did a similar thing. They started out as a as a a restaurant to, um, yeah. To, well, they just thought it'd be a good idea, and then people started coming. As people came in, they were saying, "Where are you getting the food from? Um, you know, what's hap- uh, How are they? So, if, the, if it was meat, how were they butchered? Um, you know, was it done s- sustainably, ethically, all of that? And then, so that that started the journey for them, and they ended up doing all those courses too, but they ended up having, um, they got the farmers connected in, in terms of uh, produce. They went to the farmers, one who they were getting their pigs from, and they said, what, what we really need you to produce more, what would it take to, to, for that to happen? And they said, oh, a refrigerated van. They said, well, we'll get you one. Yeah. And and it just created a whole support industry around them and farmers that were going out of business stayed yeah. uh, because they had regular um reg- regular market for their products and this this cafe then went into uh just things led to they had educational programs there they created a library then they then they said they um became a travel company and they went on. They went. They went on on trips all over the place to see. So 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 city people could see how the food was produced. Yeah. And just incredible things came out of that. And that yeah, you that's guys. Are, you guys are probably. It seems like you're heading in that direction too. It was guided by the always guided by their customers. Yeah. And they'd ask questions, and they they were open enough to to find the answers to that. Yeah. And it ended up being they had no knowledge of sustainability or anything at the start, but they ended up being like a, a, a model for the world to follow. 
essentially. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. It is yeah. great having that interaction with your customer base. Oh, absolutely. And, and even if someone's just asking one question about one small thing, yeah. it doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It can just be why, like, why do you do that the way you do? And we get that a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our response to that can be something that, you know, even if it's just that little 1% that makes someone think, hey, I can do that. Yeah. Then that's that's all it takes, really, to snowball. Yeah. And then exactly. interaction then means that they come back well it certainly does for me that that you'll come back and and that beats like there's so many uh, businesses that spend heaps and heaps of money on advertising but their service is crap <laughs> and they don't see you know at undoing or they're throwing away that money for advertising if their service isn't, isn't any good and you go into your place and you just you feel welcome yeah yeah, oh. if you can get a seat because yeah. Very yeah. yeah, that can be a struggle sometimes. We're only small. We better shut up, Mick. We might yeah. make it. We yeah. might get a seat. Right. Right. Hey, this is our canteen. You can't come and take our seat. No, that's, that's wonderful. And and what I love about it is the joy that, that you just sense when you enter the place. There's, there's a lot of joy. And this is really what this mm. movement of going towards something that is greener and more sustainable is in need of that we spread yeah. the joy of it yeah absolutely and it makes you feel good doing it i mean that's the thing that's how you know you're doing the right thing i guess it's not someone telling you how you should be living more sustainably or how you should buy a keep cup or anything like that when you do it you feel like you're doing the right thing and mm. that's so uh, that's what's your recommendation for people who would like to be in touch with you you have a facebook page and that sort of thing so how, how do people sort of know when you have your events and so on um yeah so we're very active through our social media um, just anything, Little Green Corner. Um, yeah, we'll be posting everything on there. And otherwise, we do have an email list, um, oh. which is linked through our social media as well. And come straight to your mailbox. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, everything will be going up on there a few weeks before it's on and you can get booking. Yeah, there mm. you go. Well, it's been wonderful to get to know who is in there <laughs> in the kitchen and, and uh, doing all this wonderful food. We have been able to taste it, but we didn't know the kind of um, spirit that is put into it. As you have told us about today. So yeah. thanks a lot for that, John. Yeah. Uh, John, I just briefly, um, before we go, how's your, the, your, the owner of the place is on a bit of a journey at the moment? Is that, is uh, that right? How are they going? Back. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. so he got back a couple of weeks ago. He was gone for around eight months yeah. um, going around Australia with his family. So okay. yeah, he's uh, very tanned and ready to get back into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gee. Okay. Yeah. Well, it has been. We, we spoke to him just before he left. Yep. Uh, yeah, I guess it has been that long. Yeah, <laughs> I was lost. wondering. I was wondering how he was going, but no, that's that's great and really good that you came in. You were able to come yeah, in. Yeah, no, fantastic. Festive season. Are you closed in January and all that? Uh yeah. So we close for around four weeks over January. Okay. Um, yeah, and then we'll be back to rip into so it for next year. Yeah. Starting up in twenty twenty. Exciting yeah. time. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. All the best. No Terrific, worries. Thank John you very much. much. Thanks. Listen to our sustainable hour for the future. I will plant at least a couple of trees. The reason I'm most excited about this is it feels like the end of Power Rangers when they would all assemble into the big thing and fight stuff together and do good. This will absolutely be historic and we need you on Team Trees. This is our chance to end this decade on a super strong note. It's a constructive way to tell the policymakers that this generation and our community on YouTube truly cares about the environment. It's basically all of us joining together to give a massive fist bump to freaking Mother Earth. I personally will be planting 50,000 trees by donating 50,000 
$20,000. But that's still way less than 20 million. So join me and Mr. Beast and all your favorite YouTube creators by clicking that blue button right over there and planting as many trees as you can afford right now. We honestly need you. If you're a working adult, consider how many trees you're willing to plant to send a message. If you're a kid, talk to your parents about this. Get creative and do some chores to earn some money. Ask for some freaking trees for Christmas. You can pick up 20 litered soda cans and then recycle them. And that's literally one more tree that will exist in the world than if you wouldn't have done that. This is all hands on deck. So either click that blue button or go to teamtrees.org and turn your dollars into trees. And then for like the next two months, make sure you like and double tap and retweet anything having to do with Team Trees and harass your favorite creators to join if they somehow haven't already. There is a lot of talk about tree planting, this YouTube project where they're planting 20 million trees and they're getting close. They're now up to 17 and a half million trees that they have financed. And locally here in our region, we were looking for, uh, is there anyone here doing this? And we found someone doing it up in Ballarat. 15 trees have now planted something like 160,000 trees in our region. That's amazing. And they have a website where you can go and, and buy trees. So we thought, let's find out who are these people, you know, and how, how does it work and all that. And we went on this beautiful excursion, the Sustainable Hour team, out on the road. We were Jackie out on the, at the road. Wheel. Yeah, I was at the wheel. And, <laughs> and we were all in the bus together. And uh, wasn't that a beautiful sort of picnic outing? Amazing. Fantastic landscape up there at Nambol. And uh, we're looking over these 3,000 new little trees standing there in the wind. And the wind goes into the microphone as well as mm -hmm. I'm talking here with Colleen Philippa, who's the, the owner and the CEO of 15 Trees. And she's explaining what this is all about. So here we are at Elaine, a property between Geelong and Ballarat in Victoria and 15 trees through sponsorship with companies and individuals have purchased 3,000 trees for this area and as you can see behind me these are some of the trees that we actually came and planted during National Tree Day July this year. So people purchase trees through us. And through that uh, donation of money, we purchase trees for groups such as Nambul, um, that here in Elaine. So the trees are purchased and uh, supplied by their local uh, native nursery. So the nursery will propagate the trees and we'll purchase them from them. Uh, and so this area, yes, has seen a fire in uh, 2015, so a few years ago, uh, which swept through here. But it is uh, revegetating. So we have, you can see on the old trees um, that were burnt, they're, they're coming green, becoming green again. Uh, and we've got, you know, new grass coming up as well. So it's an area that's healthy and the bushfire has knocked it back, but, you know, it's, it's revegetated and with our assistance as well. So through 15 trees, we ask you to purchase trees. So the trees cost $4.80. And roughly a tree over its lifetime will capture 268 kilograms of carbon. So working on those numbers, if you, uh, if you want to reduce the carbon footprint of your car, we would have to plant 15 trees every 12 months for you. If you want to fly, say to Japan, uh, it's roughly one tree per hour in the air. So eight hours to Japan, eight hours back if you're coming home, it's uh, 16 trees. And, and the big question that people then have, yes, that's all right, but do I have any insurance when I put my money down that, that this tree will live for a lifetime? Because drought, mm. bushfire, um, yep. that sort of stuff. Yep, yep. 
we have to give areas a good shot at revegetation. So planting these trees, okay, some will not survive and strike rate is not 100%. So strike rate for some places might only be 75 or 80%. However, we give them the best start. So the trees are given to community groups who've been doing tree planting for a long time. They're the experts in the field. They're planted at the right time of the year. So during the wetter months when the ground is nice and moist and they have good rainfall. They're planted with tree guards, so with hardwood stakes and plastic guards around them as well. And we possible mulches as well so they're given the absolute best chance at surviving as I said they won't all survive that those that do will actually revegetate the area so they'll drop seeds and new trees will come up you know insects and bird life will come into the area and it'll be a self-sustaining ecosystem in time what do you say to that criticism of being a sleeping pillow? Or a, a, yeah, a, look, I guess for most people, um, we just want to do something. And those big picture things of trying to, you know, perhaps not flying, um, it's just not possible for people. And, the, you know, we still need to get around. We still need to drive. We still need to, you know, buy things. So um, I guess for some people, for a lot of us, this is just a way of being active and actually trying to give back to small communities. Uh, you know, those big picture things, you can still um, be part of those conversations, I guess. But for most of us, you know, we just want to do the right thing um, and make some impact. And I guess through 15 Trees, because we use community groups, because we use small independent native nurseries to supply our trees, um, I guess, you know, we're just a, a small step in the big picture. You know, there's lots of things we can be doing. We, this is just one, one small thing that, that can help. So if you're interested in finding out more about 15 Trees, just Google us, 15 Trees, and, and we'll turn up there and have a look at some of the planting projects that we've, uh, that we've got there. And then if you're still interested, have a look at uh, memberships because we're encouraging individuals to plant 60 trees with us every year. So roughly 60 trees per year will reduce your lifestyle's um, carbon footprint and uh, become a friend of 15 Trees. We've so far got 65 people members and we're trying to push for at least 100. Um, see how we go. So this was uh, Colleen Philippa from 15 Trees. And, you know, this, this thing that I, I was talking with her at the end here, that's something that's uh, debated a lot on the Internet, basically because also Greta Thunberg is, is advocating for that. Planting trees is not the way to go forward. Because, you know, by offsetting that way, we are just delaying moving into that we have to get it off, completely off fossil fuels. And when I posted a photo of myself standing there happily among all these newly planted trees, it didn't take long before I got that similar kind of criticism. And one of those uh, people who were criticizing me strongly was Shane Adams. Shane, are you with us here in, in the program? Yes, Mick, I'm here. Yeah, great. So you were saying... That's simply not acceptable. You can't be supporting Greta and then at the same time saying that you're offsetting your flights by planting trees. What's your argument? There's an exceptionally good reason for the flight. So at this point in time, I somewhat agree to a minimal extent with what was just said about we still have to keep flying, but we certainly don't have to keep doing the type, the level of trips we do. We don't have to have any international tourism or any flying tourism whatsoever. Um, you know, we've, we now live in a world where more and more people are trying to justify their flying because they're apparently going to do some good.
But if everybody gives themselves an exemption and we all have the unilateral power to give ourselves an exemption, then who's going to not give themselves an exemption? And that's the history of humanity to date. So for me, the right way to settle that is we need to have a democratic process whereby, you know, that democratic process decides who gets the actual uh, fuel ration for the flights that we continue to do in the short term while we're transitioning our society away from this. So the sort of things that would remain uh, on the yes, we'll fly list would be sending, say, the foreign minister and or prime minister to an international conference. The things that would go off the list would be every self-proclaimed Greenie flying to the international conference. <laughs> That's the, the thrust of what we need to get right as a society is to have a humbling process where we stop thinking we're entitled to unilaterally decide, each and every one of us, that what we do is acceptable and we have to submit to that bigger process where the whole of society makes rational, astute decisions as to how we transition out of it. Mm. And a no. big part of my concern with planting trees as an offset is that, as was discussed earlier in the year, all, all through Facebook people could see it. it was on ABC TV, a, a Swiss scientist saying we can, you know, implement this plan to plant trees and, and you know, fix up, you know, climate change. And he was pressed by a person, an interview on ABC TV, how long will that buy us? And his answer was 20 years, which is already appallingly short term really, and then he was jumped on by all his peers from around the world. He said, you know, that's excessive calculation and it's subject to the trees actually grow and there's not a drought or they don't burn down like is happening here in northern New South Wales right now. And eventually the figure that came back from the peer-reviewed process, if you like, was it something more like five or six years' worth of emissions. So that's a very small Band-Aid. And I think that a Band-Aid is a useful product, but not in lieu of actually fixing the sucking chest wound that's threatening to kill the patient. Mm. So we really need to actually fix the carbon dioxide emissions from burning fossil fuel problem because that's irreversible unless you've got a spare few million years to wait. And I fear that, like everything that's happened in this debate for 30 years, that if we give ourselves a free pass to keep flying or driving large SUVs or burning coal when we can put solar panels up or eating non-organic food, then basically, psychologically, we're giving ourselves that free pass to continue doing the thing that we have to stop doing. Exactly. Um, I think that in a different circumstance down the track, if society gets its head around the fact that we need to drastically change and is all pulling together to work towards that drastically changing in terms of burning fossil fuels, then the Band-Aid does become very useful because it can buy us some time to get through the transition. Um, which mm. is quite different to seeing it as an excuse to not bother starting on the transition. And you know what, Shane, I'm very happy to have talked with you here because uh, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying here. Everything you're saying, we are absolutely agreeing. Whereas on Facebook, when I first saw your post there, I felt, oh, that's a bit hard, what you were saying. I felt a bit attacked in a way. So sometimes you actually misread or, or you don't actually read what the letters are saying because you just feel uh, you get into a debate on Facebook and in social media generally. And Sometimes we need to talk voice. together to understand each other. Mm. And there's more emotion in a voice. So when you hear yeah. him speaking, it, you can feel the, you know, the care and the, and the uh, empathy from the opinion. Exactly. So yeah. And I say that, you know, knowing that a lot of people are going in the next weeks, you know, it's Christmas is coming, families are getting together, and there will be these discussions and these debates over the dinner table right there. 
Sure. And it's really important that we try to uh, lean it back a little bit, relax and, and not get into these fights. But okay, actually, look, you know, what I'd say to that in response to that is this. Are you willing to go and criticise Greta Thunberg for saying to the world, we would never forgive you for not being prepared to do anything? Because, quite frankly, what I wrote was no, no different, in fact, probably more mild than what she said to the world. Mm. And a lot of people, and I'm damn sure including yourself, liked it at the time. So, you know, after 30 years of people pussyfooting around this issue and saying we have to all be nice, really, some of us are realising that hasn't worked. <laughs> and, you know, really, what I did was simply tell the truth. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> good on you. I didn't personally attack you. It's not hard to find personal attack on Facebook. I didn't personally attack you. What I said was something that undoubtedly has made you feel uncomfortable. And we all feel that at times, but sometimes we all need to be challenged. And just one more thing I'd like to say on this topic. I'm not against tree planting. I have a conservation covenant on most of my property. I've planted thousands of trees. I'm totally for it, for biodiversity conservation, but that process has also made me very fearful that this whole idea of offsetting with trees can come to nothing because I live in the wettest part of New South Wales and 20-year-old rainforest trees here are dying in front of my eyes because it won't rain and they're at risk of being burnt down in one giant inferno. And to put our eggs into the basket of offsetting with trees is to run that very real risk, whereas to stop burning fossil fuels is to make savings that can't mm. ever be burnt down. That's right, and actually dealing with the real issue. Perfect. Yeah. Shane, thank you very much. Uh, I want to play a little song for you that relates to all of this, uh, and it's actually interesting because, you know, we talked last week about Coldplay that have pushed the pause button. They are actually saying, we're not going to go flying anymore. We're not going to go touring until we found a way that it can be done in a sustainable way. And we have locally here in, in, or locally, nationally here in Australia, we have an artist, Charlie McGee, who is from uh, a band called the Formidable Vegetable Sound System. He did something similar half a year ago. He actually announced already in March that he's going to stop doing any more international tours because of the climate crisis and because he doesn't want to fly. So it's happening. Yep. And I think we should just uh, let him, you know, uh, have a few words here uh, with a song here with the Formidable Vegetable Sound System.
ancient land So much of the dream that I still don't understand Been looking at you but I'd rather see you And follow the path of that old dark emu Someday my body's gonna breathe its last Yeah, I'm aware that this too shall pass But till then I'll keep singing to the open air Hoping there's time to formidable vegetable sound system who have said that they're not gonna fly anymore and there's another band who has also said something about carbon offsetting and and uh, their emissions from flying worrying about that and so on tony yeah well we've right now we've got in the, on the line um heidi lenfer from cloud control you there all right yeah how are you doing yeah doing well doing well thanks thanks very much for for your time Tell us a little bit about about feet, what it is and how it came about. Yeah, okay. Well it's a basically it's a platform for touring artists to invest in solar energy when they go on tour. Um, and why we're doing that is because obviously we're living through a climate crisis at the moment. And um, my band became increasingly aware of what our footprint was when we go on the road, when we you know whether we jump in a van or get in a plane. A, a two-week tour of Australia, well, 15 dates over five weekends, um, amounts to the same emissions as an annual output of a household. So once we found that out, we were like, well, we can't hit, we can't go um, go on tour anymore without doing something differently. So yeah, we set up a managed fund which uh, finances solar farms around Australia. And what what kind of uh, support have you had for that? The feedback from from other people. Oh, it's been it's been immense. Uh, we've got uh, some of Australia's most well-known musicians on board, so um, Vance Joy and um, Julia Stone, Peking Duck, Courtney Barnett, uh, just to name a few. We've got about 40 well-known bands and a whole bunch of other bands that are up and coming, and um, we're actually branching into other industries. So some notable sports people came on board recently as well. So have we got any, are you able to divulge any of the names there of guys, yeah, uh, athletes yeah, that have been involved? Yeah, so we've got David Pocock um, and two of the uh, two of his colleagues from the Wallabies, Dane Haler-Petty and Bernard Foley as well. And that was really interesting actually because they, they read about our launch and wanted to know if they could do something similar for um, the upcoming Rugby World Cup. So this was a few months ago that we started talking and... Yeah, they got us to calculate the footprint of their World Cup. So in contrast with our footprint, their footprint was 1,000 tonnes of carbon, which was emitted over uh, a several months uh, World Cup campaign. So they were really shocked by that and wanted to do something as well. And it's led to yeah, so something that started out as an activity for a, one band to reduce their emissions has grown and is continuing yeah, really. to grow. No, it's a... Why do you think it's been so popular? Well, I think people are fed up with the, um, the, the situation in Australia in particular. I mean, I think people are scared, firstly. Like, this is the first time we're seeing uh, every, every year records being smashed in terms of heat waves and um, new, um, new measurements needing to, needing to be brought in to measure the uh, impacts of climate change. So I... I think people are looking for solutions and it's not easy because we live in a, 
economy that is powered by fossil fuels currently. So um, I guess we're just interested in accelerating the transition over to renewables and by getting well-known voices and faces involved, um, I believe that's the best way we can have the biggest cultural impact. Mm. We talked last week quite a bit about Coldplay because Coldplay yeah. has actually said they're going to stop touring until that there's a way to do it where you don't you know, harm the planet. And and I thought that is such a powerful statement. Imagine if all the big artists of the world said this, not so much about you know the impact that the fact that they don't fly would have, but more the the mental impact on society, and how that uh, uh, idea could spread to builders saying we're not going to build that house until we have a way to do it sustainably, and so on. Everyone could have their own things that they put on hold. What do you think about that idea? What's your reaction to Coldplay's uh, statement here? I thought it was awesome. Yeah, as soon as I heard that, uh, just it's another example of. But have you thought about bringing the words further? In you know, you could also support Coldplay and that idea by contacting all those artists you are now in touch with already with the solar panels. You could also mm-hmm. suggest to them, hey, Coldplay is onto something here. Have you noticed? Well, I think it's quite different though. Coldplay are like a multi-million-dollar band, and they can afford to not tour. Um, to be frank, if you look at the finances of it, um, the sorts of bands that we're dealing with actually make most of their living through touring, um, and touring makes up the lion's share of a band's income these days, um, as opposed to even a decade ago where CD sales were still huge. Um, so for many people, stopping touring would be actually just giving up their job and their livelihood, and that's not an option for most bands. So Coldplay are actually in a unique position to be able to put that immense cultural pressure by making such a big statement like that, um, but being able to not have their livelihood um, affected um, by doing that. So yeah, I think what we're doing as being part of a solution while we tour is equally important um, and it's a viable thing that our bands can get behind. Sure. Have you given any thought to contacting them? And, yeah, and saying, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we have already reached out, um, but we haven't heard back yet. Sure, <laughs> good on you. I, I'm not surprised by that answer. Hey, did you say 12 months ago think that you could go about all this? Because really, you've negotiated with uh, to make all this happen. It didn't just someone didn't approach you and say uh, this is a good idea. No, not at all. No, so yeah, did you have you surprised yourself in what you've been capable and the band of you know what you guys have been capable of achieving? Um, surprised ourselves. Oh, good question. Um, I mean, yes and no. Like, if you look back at what we've achieved in, like, three years of work, then, yeah, it seems awesome and immense. But, um, you know, it's just basically daily decisions to keep following up leads and keep problem-solving at every turn. And, um, yeah, I think it's quite achievable for people if they have a long-term vision to just chip away at it every day and keep progressing towards something that ends up being really cool. Mm. Yeah. If some artists here in Geelong uh, want to get in touch with you and be part of this, how do we find you? Uh, we've got a website, feet.ltd, um, F-E-A-T dot L-T-D. Oh, um, L-T-D is the domain name. That's interesting. I'm used to dot .com, dot .au and that sort of thing, but it's yeah. just dot .ltd. L-T-D, that's hmm. right. Yeah, so you can just jump on there, leave your email, and you'll get um, all the information straight away. Excellent. Okay, and any messages, just last messages for our listeners, Heidi, about, um, yeah, but if they want to, say if they've got to, um, want to get involved in your investment scheme, 
you know, I, I, yeah. we didn't really mention that, but maybe just briefly elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, look, here's the thing. You don't have to be an artist to be involved anymore. So this is a platform that was created by artists for artists, but the, in, the interest we received was so big that we just, we just went, you know, why not open it up to, to other industries that fly for a living? And now the general public is going to get involved next year as well. So if you fall into any of those categories, which is everyone, yes. <laughs> um, jump online and put your name down and just select the category you fall into and we'll be communicating with you when we um, launch our app next year, which will make it super easy for everyone to sign up. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's so important for us to be taking, for everyone to be taking steps now um, to, to shift the impact that their business is having on this world. Like we're in an emergency, everyone is quite aware of this now, but the solutions uh, are less tangible often. So we're really excited that Feet can give people a solution that they can point to and walk through and one day you can actually visit these solar farms that we're building. Excellent. Yep. Terrific. Heidi Lenford, this is amazing. Cloud Control, we are applauding. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and, and a song, I, I forgot to mention before, a song, what, we can't play it today, but a song from Cloud Control that we could play in the future. Uh, yeah, you can play Panopticon or Treetops. Yep. Any of those. Terrific. Thanks very much, Heidi. And you're getting any time to play music at all during all this? Um, I took this year off to launch feet. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Uh, well, actually, I can't say what we're doing next year, but I will. Um, but watch this space. Yes, we will for we sure. Will we'll get you space. back on again. Thanks Excellent. heaps. Oh, that was a great example. Much. Heidi, thank you so much. Uh, there you go. There's uh, certainly people who are making a difference. So that's what we all have to join, isn't it? Uh, we're out of here. Uh, back next week, the last show for, for this, this year. year. Um, but uh, go out there, Tony, Jackie, and be the, the difference. difference. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.